lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Independence Day. It's a very special edition of the Steve Dace Show here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre. Todd Erzin has the day off. It is our annual Independence Day show where we will again learn, as we pointed out yesterday, that the answers we're looking for in the future are often found in the past. The answers we're looking and seeking in the present are often found in the past. You know, that whole laws of nature and nature's God, self-evident truths thing. We'll break that all down for you today as we do each and every year right here on this program. But first, let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. You can email the program steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, uh, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. That's, again, D-E-A-C-E. And if you're looking for clips of the program, go to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show as well. Aaron, you probably did not see what I just tweeted, correct? I have not. Good. I want to get your cold reaction to this. Cool. So I got a text from a a, a really well-placed little birdie about an hour ago. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and he said he spoke to one of Trump's attorneys, who's a friend of his. Yep. And who's around Trump constantly. And he tells, and, and he told my little birdie that uh, Jared, Ivanka, and a lot of people that used to be around Trump have abandoned him because of his continued, um, uh, his his continued insistence on challenging the last election. Good. All right. I didn't even ask you. What do you think my text response back to my little birdie was? Praise Allah. Something along those. See, you, you, you know what? You know me. Yes. I texted back. I'm actually very encouraged about that. I'm more interested in a in another Trump run than I was pr- prior to reading this text. No kidding. Actually, no that kidding. Was, that was my response back. So I, I tweeted that out. First tweet, somebody said, why? And I did. I decided not to answer. Their first reply back, somebody said, why? And I decided not to answer, but my I was going to answer, if you have to ask, then, then as the great prophet Jim Mora once said, you think you know. But you don't know, and you never will. That's absolutely correct. Yes. All right, so um, enough about contemporary matters. Uh, Today is actually, July the 2nd, is actually the day we formally declared our independence. The document itself was just ratified uh, two days later on the 4th. But today is actually, officially, the day of the initial declaration of American independence. So on today's show... We're going to look back at what they did, why, and how, and what that means also for us. You know, they closed that document pledging their lives, fortunes, and sacred honors. What does that mean? It's not just poetic eloquence. It's a price they were willing to pay. We'll close things out today by going through how they lived up to that vow and the price many of them we're forced to pay for us to be here today. We'll look at that. Also, we'll get our annual Independence Day message from founding father, John Adams. We'll also take a look at, can one person make a difference? You know, our theme on the show this year is the answer is us. 
I get a, I, a, this email, just I get so many every day, but this one in particular just left an indelible impression. We got, I got an email a few months ago, Aaron, from somebody who told me their family keeps telling them to take the jab, put on your th- three mm-hmm. masks, <laughs> go with the flow because one person can't make a difference, right? Well, the story of the founding father, many of you have probably previously never heard of, Caesar Rodney says something dramatically different. Because in the case of Caesar Rodney, one person made all of the difference. And we'll talk about him uh, coming up here at the bottom of the hour. But we begin, as we always do, with a special Independence Day-themed version of Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the same crap I cover every day on the montage. Instead of recapping the crap du jour, I thought, since it's our Independence Day special, why not read the Declaration of Independence? In Congress, July 4th, 1776. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness." that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying on its foundation such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness." Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and provide new guards for the future security. Such has been the patient sufferances of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over the states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused to assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governments to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance, unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people, unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions of the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers, incapable of annihilation, 
have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime to expose to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states for that purpose, obstructing the laws of naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrants hither, and raising the conditions of the new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government, and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies, for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments, for suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lands of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun with the circumstances of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country to become the executioners of their friends and brethren or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by our ties of common kindred to disavow these usurpations which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them, as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. 
We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of our right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that the free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And as you will learn later in this special edition, uh, they meant that. And many of them learned firsthand what it meant to pay that cost, to keep that vow, to sustain that pledge. After this was voted upon, John Adams sent a letter to his wife, Abigail, that includes the following words, quote, Independence Day will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the greatest anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized and with pomp and circumstance and parades with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other. From this time forward, forevermore. You will think me transported with enthusiasm, but I am not. I am well aware, listen to these words, I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. They understood that the battle was just beginning. This wasn't the culmination. Yet through all of the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means and that posterity will triumph in that day's transaction, even though we should rue it, which I trust in God we shall not, end quote. In other words... He's trusting, not just in them, but in God, that when, when the battle rages hardest, they will still be willing to pay this price. Not rue the fact they got themselves into this by declaring this declaration of independence, that they would then go on and regret it. What have we gotten ourselves into? Uh, let's cut a deal here. That No, they would see it through. They would see it through. As St. Paul would put it, they would finish their race. I happen to think that this document is one of the greatest written by mere human hands in the history of all Western civilization, maybe the greatest. And if you break it down, it, it begins right away, you know, when in the course of human events, it may become necessary 
for peoples to break the ties that have connected them with one another. What Jefferson is telling you right away is that this is a document of secession. This is a document of separation. That these 13 colonies are now declaring themselves United States. They are seceding, separating themselves, divorcing themselves. This is a divorce decree, if nothing else. Divorcing themselves from the British crown. Jefferson continues, he says, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station in which the laws of nature and nature's God entitles them. Now, Jefferson, by using this terminology so early in this document, Jefferson is making the case there is a higher law that bounds the colonies uh, than the law that bounds the colonies to England. There's a higher law than English law, the decrees of King George, the whims of judges that are under his thumb. There's a higher law here, and he's invoking this higher law in order to justify secession. Now, this is a key point, and the reason I believe, and this is my own historical analysis, I believe the reason this argument is made so early in this document is you have to go back to the origins of these 13 colonies. Almost all of them were founded as some vestige of the Christian church, or, or some vestige of the Christian church played a role, if they didn't necessarily charter the colony, played a role in settling it. One notable exception is Rhode Island, which was founded by a Puritan reformer, and his goal was to found a place that had religious freedom. Because in a lot of these colonies originally, you had to belong to the, to the denomination, to the sect, S-E-C-T, that founded the colony in order to be a citizen in good standing. Rhode Island was the first, I believe, to offer that as an exception. So this is, so Christianity is intertwined. Some remnant of it, some vestige of it, is intertwined into the DNA, the fabric of all 13 of these colonies. And, you know, we have been wrestling with a particular portion of Scripture on this show over the last couple of years of COVID stan. We've done, Aaron, how many presentations or, or answered how many questions about Romans 13? Not joking, at least four or five yes. separate occasions. Yes, because it's a difficult calculus. If if the powers of the earth are either are, or, are either directly appointed or ordained indirectly by God and him allowing it to happen, then if we rebel against them, are we rebelling against God, right? Now imagine that these are, these are colonies where this is embedded indelibly into the fabric of their, of their culture. I think of a couple of them in particular. One in particular, let's narrow it down. The Quaker population in a place in a colony like Pennsylvania. They would have come out of an Anabaptist tradition post-Reformation. They largely didn't believe in entangling themselves with socio-political cultural matters. And so I think the reason that Jefferson addresses this from the very beginning is because they had to make this argument with one another. They had to succeed in making a moral case under the laws of nature and nature's God that they're invoking here. Could they make a case that this wasn't rebelling against God? And Jefferson right away is making the case to justify this secession. He is saying that the king... 
the king has violated the laws of nature and nature's God. That the king is every bit as accountable to those laws. And it says right in the scriptures, God is no respecter of persons. That the king, the British government, has violated these laws. They are now asking us to do the same. And so Jefferson's turning the argument around. He's not making the case. Pardon me. He's reversing the premise. He's not making the case that rebelling against even a tyrant is rebelling against God, but that obeying a tyrant is rebelling against God. That there's a chain of command. I've made this case in my own home with my children. Hey, Dad is the head of the home, but if I ask your mother to do something that God says is wrong, should your mother follow me or God? Because who's the ultimate authority in the home? God. I am, I am an authority in the home, but who's the ultimate authority God. in the home? God is. So dad watched, watched, binge watched Breaking Bad one weekend and say, hey, let's become drug dealers. Should you all go along with that? Because, you know, it says to honor your father and mother. Is that what that means? Probably not. Probably that's not what it means. And Jefferson is making that case here. They had to make this case amongst themselves to get to a point of unanimity. Because not everybody went to Independence Hall that summer even believing that they biblically were permitted to rebel against earthly authorities. They had to hash that one out. That's why I think they're addressing this one first. Here, Jefferson also writes what is essentially, what's the mission statement of America? What is it? It's these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these, meaning there are more than these, that's what the word among the that's what the words among these mean. There are more than these. But among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That is. That is the mission statement for America right there. That's it. Basically, Jefferson is saying there is a God. It's the God of the Bible. Government is not God. Our rights come from him, not government. Therefore, government's real only prime directive is the protection and preservation of those God-given rights. And it should put that prime directive ahead of any other directive. And when a government doesn't do that, a people do not have to consent by being governed by a government that refuses to uphold its end of the bargain its side of the social compact, if you will. Jefferson then turns lawyer. He enters into evidence 27 grievances, which he refers to as, quote, repeated injuries and usurpations. This is a list of documented injustices committed by King George that are in violation not just of good government or even the social compact. Because remember, They all didn't even agree that that was grounds for rebellion. That's why they had to make the case there's a higher law right from the outset. Jefferson is now itemizing the laws of nature and nature's God violations as well. They're all included in there. And worth noting, by the way, is that the abuse of the judiciary is the most named violation. No taxation without representation is often the catchphrase that comes out of this. 
but the abuse of the judiciary is the most named violation. I think it's mentioned in three of the 27 occasions that Jefferson lists. Similar to how statists and the spirit of the age and petty tyrants and authoritarians usurp the judiciary in order to usurp the Constitution today. There truly is nothing new under the sun. And then finally, Jefferson notes in the closing of this act of sedition and secession that this is not to be taken lightly. This is not to be done cavalierly. They were left with no other resort. The crown made it clear that the deal was you slit your throat or we'll slit it for you. Does that sound familiar at all? Just a little bit. That's kind of the deal that's often given to us today. That's why Jefferson writes, we, therefore, the representatives of these United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our actions and of our intentions. What does that mean? We are asking God, judge us. We are open to judgment. If we are wrong, God, do not let this be successful. If we are wrong in this, in this area, if our conscience violates you, squash us. They're not saying, you know, we changed our minds about some things, and so we're therefore confident that God will change his mind along with us. That's the month we just celebrated here in America. The month of July is about how we got to make sure we're on God's side, not that he's on ours. That's what Jefferson is saying here. Judge the rectitude, the integrity of our intentions. Are we on the side of right and light here? No? Then don't let it be. We do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies note that they appeal to God's judgment before they then call upon the will of the people. See the order mm-hmm. of authority here, the hierarchy here. And he concludes with writing, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of ought to be and of right ought to be free and independent states. And he notes that the hope for this newly found freedom and independence comes from, quote, a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. We appeal to God's law. We don't believe. Here are, here's the evidence that the king has usurped God's law. And we would be in violation of God's law by following the king instead of God. If we're wrong about that, if our analysis is incorrect, if we are doing evil so that good may come, which the New Testament says not to do, then please, God, judge the rectitude, the integrity, the character of our intentions. Don't let what we are about to declare here be successful. And then finally, this can only sustain itself and be successful if we firmly rely on Almighty God. Those are the four biggest points in this entire document.
It's what sets it apart from every other founding document that's ever been attempted, before or since. And it's what set this country apart from every attempt at human freedom before or since. And it's our, or a sizable chunk of our countrymen's desire to divorce ourselves from it, to abandon it, to betray it, or we just didn't know it. As the prophet says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. I, I just didn't know this. No one told me this. No one taught me this. Too many of our countrymen have either been guilty or the victim. Either they are committing the cultural hijacking or they're the victims of it. But just as Jefferson lays out four fundamental steps that must be honored for independence to be given a birth here on this continent, on this landmass we call these United States, those four fundamentals will have to be honored for it to be sustained as well. Some of you may be asking, what can I do? What difference can I do? I'm just, I'm a retired grandmother. I'm a single mom. I'm an unemployed contractor. I, I'm a, I used to own what we a business and then it was deemed non-essential. And now I don't know, I might lose my home. Some of you, what can we do? What difference can we make? Can one person make a difference? And if you go back to this weekend in 1776, we got a resounding answer to that question. And it was yes. The story of Caesar Rodney, next. So the long holiday weekend for a lot of us. In fact, after today, we are off again until Wednesday of next week. Uh, On my to-do list this weekend... Uh, We're going to have some nice weather here in central Iowa. Going to fire up the grill. I want to try. I've not had a chance to do it yet. I want to try the the new meat I got from Moink. Um, And Moink delivers grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, if you're into that, uh, pastured pork and chicken, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, direct to your door, helping family farms across the country become financially independent outside of big ag. Uh, and their animals are raised outdoors. Their fish swim wild in the ocean. Uh, their uh, c- cattle eats grass. Uh, moink meat, therefore, free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, all the other junk you typically get in your prepackaged meat uh, in the meat aisle at your favorite store. If you want to give Moink a shot, Sign up for your Moink Box now at moinkbox.com slash show. That, or, I'm sorry, slash Steve. Pulled a Joe Biden there and read the readout instead of my insert. <laughs> moinkbox.com slash Steve. Remember that time that Biden did that? And then uh, then the third person will talk. Oh, wait, that's the readout, not the not my, what I'm supposed to say, moinkbox.com slash Steve to get a free year of ground beef and then pick of meats you want delivered in your first box. That's a pretty good deal, guys. Okay. Um, if you sign up now, you get a free year of ground beef and you get to pick what meats you want custom for you uh, in your Moink box. Change what you want each month. You can also cancel anytime you want as well. 
All right. Moink founded by eighth generation farmer recently featured or featured in the past on the Shark Tank uh, where one of the hosts said it was the best bacon they've ever tried. All right. Uh, so that's the other thing you can do, too, is um, if you join the Moink movement today uh, and go to moinkbox.com slash Steve, um, you've got a chance right now uh, to get free bacon for a year. I mean, they can't make this any much more enticing, folks. A chance at free bacon for a year and you get free ground beef for a year if you sign up at Moinkbox, M-O-I-N-K, moinkbox.com slash Steve. Hopefully uh, next week or the next time we, we we talk about them, I'll have a personal testimony yeah. to some of the meat that's been sitting in our freezer for the last couple of weeks. Just have not had a chance to grill it. But moinkbox.com slash Steve. All right, let's get back to our special Independence Day show. We do this each and every year here on the Steve Day Show on Blaze TV radio and podcast. And I want to set the stage for what went on this weekend in 1776. So the colonists, the colonials, all send a delegation from all 13 colonies. It's a three-man booth, if you will. And they make the decision early on. As Ben Franklin once put it, or famously put it, they will either hang together or they will hang separately. So this has to be unanimous. It doesn't mean that all three people, all 39 people have to all vote the same. But all, st- all, all colonies have to agree to do this or the answer is no. And so there's a three-man booth. So there's a tie or, they can't, or there's a tiebreaker that cannot be a tie. And all 13 colonies have to vote in the affirmative or the answer is no. They will remain subjects of the British crown. And that takes us to the story of how one person can absolutely make all the difference. Before Delaware sicked Joe Biden on the country, it gave us a far more inspirational story. Here told in animated form, a man named Caesar Rodney. All in favor? All opposed? That was only a straw vote to see where we stand. Well, only Delaware and Pennsylvania stand against the independence resolution. But in order to adopt it, the vote must be unanimous. The actual vote will take place tomorrow morning. Until then, we are dismissed. Rat! If only Caesar Rodney of Delaware were here, he'd vote with us and bring Delaware to our side. Caesar Rodney is bedridden. Wait a minute. James, could you and Moses race to Delaware to visit a sick friend? (laughs) If it's thieves, I'm alone. You'll only have me to rob. We're not robbers. Ah, then you've come to escort me to the next world. No, just Philadelphia. That's a far cry from heaven. Dr. Franklin sent us. With news of the independence resolution? The boat is tomorrow, and your boat is very important. Help me out of bed, gentlemen. Wouldn't it be better if you rode in the carriage with us? Speed is everything. God! 
once again, fellows. <laughs> that cough sounds bad. We'd better try to keep up with him. I don't understand why you wouldn't let us take it. Now you've seen a real hero. Steady, Rodney. <coughs> I've got to make it inside. As I believe the voice of my constituents and of all sensible and honest men is in favor of independence, my own judgment concurs with them. I vote for independence. It's unanimous. The resolution on independence passes. None of that story, by the way, is embellished. If anything, it's a little watered down for the kiddos, courtesy of PBS. But he absolutely was the one deciding vote in flipping the Delaware delegation to declaring independence and thus the United States doing so. One man, one person, made that much of a difference. Rodney would die in 1784. He would not live to see the Constitution ratified. But we've had this theme this year. The answer is us. Can one person really make a difference? Well, one person can't make the difference, right? We're just people. We're not God. Mm -hmm. But can one person make a difference? I mean, Caesar Rodney wasn't the difference. They had to get to the point where there were one vote short to begin with, right? But did he make a difference? Did one person make a difference? In a period of time where if you were that sick and you left bed, you were, keep in mind, folks, we're more than a century away from antibiotics, for example. A century and a half away. He risked his life getting out of that bed, traveling the, all night long in a driving rainstorm, which, of course, is just perfect being perpetually wet. Just perfect for what he was sick with. He risked his life to ride overnight in the dark, in a storm, from Delaware to Philadelphia, to get there and pass the deciding vote. Absolutely one person can make a difference. You don't know. There could be 10 or 15 people in your district, five at your job, waiting, all, in, all agreeing something's not right about these experimental jabs. 
that we can't even get a majority of healthcare workers around the country to take. And now they want to tell us that if we don't, we can't work here. And they could just be waiting for that one person that's going to be the first to break the seal, to take the stand. And then one person becomes five, 10, 15, 20, thousands, a movement. One tiny little 29-year-old Baptist seamstress, Martin Luther King Jr. said, was the difference in the civil rights movement. She got in a bus one day, and she just simply said, no. Changed the course of the country. Absolutely, one person can make a difference. And one of the beauties of this country and the freedom that it provides, even if that freedom is flickering more than ever, on a day when Amy Coney Barrett decides to be the deciding vote, not to grant cert to Baron L. Stutzman in Washington State, who has lost her home. I know this woman. I've spent time with her personally. She's lost her home. She's lost her business. She's lost much of her retirement and savings because they targeted her for refusing to provide flowers for a union that the laws of nature and nature's God says is not righteous. So she chose, as Jefferson wrote about in the Declaration, she chose to follow the laws of nature and nature's God. And today, Amy Coney Barrett was the deciding vote to not allow her to be heard at the Supreme Court. The same Amy Coney Barrett that was the toast of all of us, myself included, with the family, Notre Dame, the Catholic upbringing, the intern at, for Anton, or, or, or the intern for Anton and Scalia, right? Do you think Anton and Scalia would have voted no to grant Baronel Stutzman cert? No. I think we all know the answer to that question. Six Republican appointees on that court, it only takes four to get cert, to get a hearing. And she couldn't even get four of them, including Amy Coney Barrett. One person absolutely can make a difference, good or bad. If you want it to be good, one way to make sure that happens is for that one person to be people like you and I. Aaron, you have any thoughts? The question has always been, can one person make a difference? I would submit that the question in this day and age that we need to be asking is not, can one person make a difference? Must one person make a difference? Mm. The answer is still the same. Listen, for all the reasons that you just mentioned, Steve, the news today, the news every single day since Todd is here, I'll, I'll channel his energies just a little bit. Guys, we're, we're living in a country, in a culture that has accepted by and large either by uh, hook or by crook or by implication, that dudes can be girls. We're not living in a time where we can ask esoteric questions and think, okay, yeah, I guess one... No, we are living in an era where you're in a foxhole alone. Maybe sometimes with a few other people. You're never truly alone, but it may feel like that. The question is not, 
can one person make a difference when you're in a foxhole? And the enemy is closing in all around you? It's you or it's them. Metaphorically speaking. The question is, must one person make a difference? The answer is yes. The answer is you. What that looks like, it could be what Steve just said, could be banding together with your co-workers to push back against the experimental vaccines. It could be lining up like so many others have done around the country at your local school board and speaking out against the Marxist indoctrination that takes place every single day there. There are ample opportunities. That's the upside when the enemy closes around you. You have opportunities at your 6, at your 9, at your 3, and at your 12. There are opportunities. But if you answer the question, must one make a difference, in the negatory, with no, there are going to be no opportunities sooner than later. You know, something we've, I've, I've done variations of the story of Caesar Rodney for this special episode going back to my local radio days. And yet, so, I mean, how many years have I done this now? Uh, it's been over a decade. 12, 15 times yeah. I've done this with the story of Caesar Rodney. And something for the first time, just dawned on me, Aaron. Caesar Rodney risked his life to risk his life. Yep. Let me say that again. You know, in sports, we got this thing now where you have to buy a personal seat license. Mm-hmm. You have to buy a license for the right to purchase the, uh, the actual seat. Right? Yep. So you have to buy a right to buy the seat. Okay. In addition to a um, you know compulsory uh, donation. Yes. In in Caesar Rodney's case, he left a, a bed where he was uh, bedridden with an illness. That at that point in time, and given his age, he died at fifty five. Yeah, that's pretty old for that period of time. I mean, he risked his life to go and pledge his life, fortune, and sacred honor. He risked his life to risk his life. By the way, Caesar Rodney was a man of means. And he risked his life to risk his life. We're going to have to risk something. Some of you will say, well, Steve, that's easy for you to say. You get paid to risk. True. And I'm blessed with that. But understand that that's a double-edged sword. If we risk, Aaron, and we're wrong, do we continue to get paid for this? Nope. No. If we had been fundamentally wrong about anything over the last year and a half, would we, would we be still getting paid to do this right no. now? No, we would not. Caesar Rodney took a risk of his own life to risk his own life. Then all of us can take at least some risk to make sure he didn't risk that in vain. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre. Todd Erzin has the day off, taking his daughter out west to run in the, at the Nationals competition. So congratulations to the Erzin family. Uh, you are therefore stuck with just the two of us today on a special edition. It's our annual Independence Day show here on 
Blaze TV. We will be back again after this weekend on Wednesday and resume regular order. But until then, we are reminded that the answers to both our future and what we're struggling with in the present are often found in the past. That whole self-evident truth, that self-evident truths thing, unalienable rights stuff, the laws of nature and nature's God creed, those things still apply today because they're transcendent. They're timeless. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can do so. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show is where you can go uh, to get free clips of the program that are uncensored and unfiltered. And if you like uncensored, unfiltered social media, check us out as well on MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. If you're a podcast listener, we would First of all, thank you for doing that. You have been a part of a massive explosion of our podcast audience here in the last year plus. Please, if you haven't done so yet, though, take another step. Hit that five-star review uh, and that subscribe button for us. The more of you that do that, it helps the show to grow. And we want to say thank you to all of you. And there are thousands of you who have done that for us already. Thank you very much. Of course, you knew what went down during the top of the hour break. It was time for another Built Bar. Someone sent me an email, Aaron. Yes, it's a Seinfeld episode. It's the side of my nose, I promise. Uh, (laughs) Someone sent me an email the other day saying, they don't believe I have a Built Bar during a commercial break every show. No, you do. Because there's not chocolate on my face or all over my teeth. Okay. (laughs) Why are you looking at Steve's face that closely? (laughs) I mean, I kind of get it. If you had a built bar, they are chewy like a candy bar, right? It's not, you know, um, I, so I can see why you might think that's a compliment to built bar, by the way. But I, I, I kind of think, though, the main reason you don't see that is I'm not nine, right? I may have may the palate of a nine-year-old, as Todd likes to say, or is it a 12-year-old? Um, I may have the palate of a nine-year-old, but hopefully I don't have the manners of one. <laughs> so that, that's the reason why. But uh, Built Bar, by the way, just got some big news. They are the official sponsor, uh, a protein bar sponsor for the U.S. track and field team in the Olympics. Uh, in Tokyo. That's a big deal as well. That's a big get for them. So congratulations. Whether it's the occasional limited time flavor, like I was just partaking of with Caramel Brownie. They had that out for Father's Day. We've got some of the birthday cake that they had out uh, about a a month ago. Uh, We've still got that sitting out here in the studio as well. Or it's their their typical variety box with their nine bedrock flavors. uh, Chocolate covered, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, coconut almond, coconut. All of them are chocolate covered, in fact. And They're all delicious. It's the best tasting protein bar out there. Even their special flavors, the most decadent, like chocolate chip cookie dough, still only like 170 calories. Seven grams of sugar and carbs. That's it. Most of their flavors run like 130 calories, four or five net grams of sugar or carbs. You absolutely can't beat it up to 18 grams of protein in every bar, too. Uh, Give it a shot today when you go to the website, Built, B-U-I-L-T, Built.com. Use the promo code DACE, my last name, and get 15% off your order. 15% off your order with the promo code DACE at Built, B-U-I-L-T, Built.com. You know, I did have one of those... um, One of those... uh, Birthday cake yeah. bars that I stole with your permission. I'm not sure. Oh, that you allowed me to have. That's yes. the word for that. Yes. Um, it was. <laughs> that I allowed you to steal. It was scary good. I mean, I haven't had. And it's it, the, 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 the flavor is gluten free too. Yeah. 
It's it's crazy. So that's a big deal because for people that forget, you are, you know, I've got a bit I'm, of a gluten allergy. I have to be careful how much. You are a full-fledged celiac. I ain't one of those hippies that gets rid of uh, gluten just because it feels, or yeah. just because uh, it's the fad thing to do. I've yeah, got, you are. I've a, got the autoimmune disorder. You do. And so birthday cake ain't on the menu for no, you a lot, right? No. So I bet that that was an it was a was a special was, treat for you to get to try that. It was bordering on like, oh boy, this is almost too sweet for me. I mean, yeah. that's how good it is, and it's not that nasty, chalky, typical protein bar sweetness. It's like it's real, yeah. real sweetness. Remember, Todd said he thought there was no way they could do it because, in his opinion, birthday cake is one of the hardest flavors mm-hmm. for anybody to pull off. And when he tried it, he was impressed. Yep. Right. So there you go. Built.com promo code Dace. Let's continue on. Our special Independence Day show, of course, would not be complete. We've been doing this from the very beginning as well. It is our annual Independence Day message from the founding father himself, John Adams. Madams, sirs, I appreciate this opportunity to take the floor. I do understand this gathering. It is precisely what my colleagues and I had in mind, what we dreamed of, why we abandoned our homeland, our England, and why we abandoned our King George. I am John Adams. I will become President of the United States. I will become the first of only two presidents whose son will also become president, but I will primarily be known for my work with the Declaration of Independence and the founding of this land. I was disliked by many, considered brutish, pushy, but I always professed my calling to be bold. My attitude has always been, come with me in Christ or get out of my way. I come to this Congress with two proposals for your, excuse me, with two proposals for your consideration, after which I intend to depart and charge you with defining their merit. Proposal number one, that the Christian heritage of this land shall be revealed, shared, taught, and stressed to all American children. In other words, the Christian history will be included in the public education. 55 members attended the Constitutional Convention. 52 of those 55 were actively involved in their respective churches. Did you know? The words God and Jesus occur numerous times in the writings of our founders, hundreds of times. Oftentimes, a synonym was used, such as Master, Heavenly Father, Divine Provider, Jehovah Jireh. My friend George Washington used 54 different references to our Lord. Did you know? 54. Likewise, a hundred years later, a Mr. Abraham Lincoln will use 49 such references, and a Mr. Robert E. Lee will use 45. Did you know? Thus, the profound significance and impact of Jesus Christ on the history of this land, let alone the profound significance and impact of Jesus Christ on some rather remarkable Americans. One such American, a personal friend of mine, was Mr. Benjamin Franklin, 
And despite his uh, shortcomings in morality, he too understood God's divine providence here. This is on file from the Constitutional Convention dated June 28, 17 and 87. Franklin was addressing the morning worship, excuse me, uh, the Congress. But how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly appealing to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding? In the beginning of our contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible to danger, we had daily prayers in this very room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And I firmly believe in this. My friends, that was Benjamin Franklin. That is but one example of the Christian heritage of this land. There are numerous others. Here, Patrick Henry, yes, he said, give me liberty or give me death. But only after he said, an appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left. We shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations, and he will raise up friends to fight our battles. Is life so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God, and only then give me liberty or give me death. Did you know the secular historians must have omitted something, don't you think? Mr. Thomas Jefferson believed that the constitutional freedom of religion is the most inalienable and sacred of all human rights. Mr. George Washington, without an humble imitation of the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion, we can never hope to be a happy nation. Mr. Abraham Lincoln, the only assurances of our nation's safety is to lay our foundation in morality and religion. Ladies and gentlemen, I suggest to you the Christian character of this land is not being taught to your children. Furthermore, the historical significance of Jesus Christ on the history of this land, like a woolen mitten on frigid fingers, has been a perfect fit, allowing God's hand to guide this country to its survival and lead her to her divine destiny. The Bible tells us we shall reap what we sow. My friends, the Christian seeds have already been planted by numerous Christian men and women, including philosophers and presidents, generals and gentlemen, patriots and housewives and ministers. Take care of this Christian land. Let your children know of the Christian seeds planted by Christian men, such as Jefferson, 
Washington, such as, such as Mr. James Madison, another future president, such as Mr. John Hancock, the very first signer of the Declaration of Independence, such as Mr. Noah Webster, the prolific thinker and remarkable author of the dictionary found in many of your homes. These were Christian men. Your efforts to teach that Christian heritage will not only be nurturing to all, but perhaps eye-opening to self and certainly appreciated by our Heavenly Father. Well, if you will excuse me, the heat here is somewhat reminiscent of the heat I experienced one summer many years ago in the village of Philadelphia. That first proposal sets the foundation for my second most difficult and certainly controversial proposal, that our future choices, yours and mine, our future choices will be guided, guarded, and governed by those Christian principles and ideals set forth in the first proposal. In other words, our Christian choices will be based upon Christian principles, not worldly principles. My friends, tomorrow will bring about numerous challenges, numerous changes. You know that. Why, the devil himself will attempt to erode the foundation of that first proposal by using man's own intellect, own inquisitiveness to tempt and eventually destroy those Christian principles and ideals. If the devil himself were to tamper with our future course of events, can you imagine? For example, what a shame it would be if one day man were to discover how to eliminate a child prior to its birth and the government approved it, what a shame it would be if one day a new type of cannonball was developed, one capable of enormous explosive power, even including clouds of poisonous plagues, and the peoples and the nations accepted their occasional use. And, and what a shame it would be if one day a, a device... Huh? An image box of some sort was capable of sending evil images into our homes. And we not only permitted it, but promoted it so thoroughly and participated in it so thoroughly as to allow its evil tendencies to desensitize our moralities and virtually destroy our family time together. What a shame it would be if one day the love and compassion we have for our neighbors became secluded and isolated behind locked doors, privacy fencing, and hedges. And what a shame it would be if one day a person or group in authority 
were to decide the family unit is not really defined, a sexual rebellion, including same-sex relationships, was allowed like smoke to seep under the doors into our log cabins, altering our marriage covenant and the family unit itself, and the Christian neighborhood complained in private but remained silent and spineless in their public opposition? What a shame it would be if one day man were to learn to soar like birds in some type of flying apparatus, only to turn around and use such a device to inflict harm on their fellow man. What a shame it would be if one day greed and ownership and materialism and corporate wealth became more important than giving, honesty, and helping thy neighbor to cut firewood. And lastly, what if our freedom to pray, what if our freedom to worship and pray freely and openly were taken away by our own government? If King George were to arrive on this soil tomorrow and prevent your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren from praying during schooling, well, such unlikely abominations must be repelled. Yes, the devil will use worldly men, but you must use the Christian principles and ideals set forth by my friends and my colleagues, your forefathers and your founders fathers to dismember such abominations. Thus, my two proposals, I trust you will consider them, absorb any wisdom found therein, and adjust your lives accordingly. Oh, oh. Well, now you know why I was disliked by many. Perhaps I have offended you or your neighbor. That was not my intention. But I will not apologize for my Christian heritage, nor will I stand idly by when I see it being challenged and or ridiculed by future individuals and or events. And lastly, my dear friend, George Washington was constantly found to be in prayer. Did you know? He had been leading our troops against the vastly superior forces of King George. One wintry evening around dusk, a Quaker, ironically a Tory Quaker by the name of Potts, Mr. Isaac Potts, came upon the general. The general was alone at the edge of the wood. Mr. Potts was not seen by the general, but this is what Mr. Potts observed. The general was alone at the edge of the wood. Only his four-legged, trusty, ashen-spotted mount named Nelson stood off his shoulder. It was quiet. It was cold. The general was on his knee. 
so quiet. Only an occasional snort from Nelson nearby colored the chilly, silent air. The general's hands were folded. His stature severe. His head was bowed. And he was praying. Picture that on your imaginary canvas. Picture that. General George Washington. Later, that Tory Quaker who observed this wrote about what he saw that evening outside his village at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. He wrote, if there is anyone on this earth who the Lord will listen to, it is George Washington. And I feel a presentiment that under such a commander there can be no doubt of our eventually establishing our independence and that God in his providence has willed it so. My friends, this country is founded in God. Did you know? So Aaron, I'd love to know when you hear this, and your situation's a little bit different, of course. You grew up a homeschooled kid, so you got mm-hmm. some of this, obviously, if not a lot. But when you hear this, you know, we were making the point, or I was making the point earlier, too many of our countrymen are either committing a cultural hijacking or are victims of it. Yep. How many, how, your generation, are they more violators or victims, do you think? Have they, do they want to deny this or have they been denied this? The answer is yes. But if you put a gun to my head and, and asked me with, with my generation and asked me, it's one or the other, I would say the, the violators hmm. uh, by and large. I, I, I used to not be quite so sure about my generation because let's just be honest. I've been in somewhat of a bubble. <laughs> for right. a good deal of of my life, so I, I was homeschooled. I went to a you know, a church growing up. I went to a private Christian school, and I'm like, you know what, my generation is not so bad. But even those who I went to outside of the outside of the Southern Iowa, um, you know, homeschooling little uh, bubble that I had, and I love that. I'm not saying that I would do that again in a heartbeat for my children if I had the opportunity. Uh, not knocking that at all, but the, the first time I got outside of that and went to college, you know what? Even within this community um, of, of believers up there, I didn't, I'm not really seeing a whole lot of of the wokeness. We didn't really call it that uh, by and large at the time. But as time has gone on, I've seen former classmates just go full Marxist, full uh, rainbow jihad. This was at a private Christian college. And now that institution, if you've listened to an overtime recently, that institution is, is sadly, I I think, um, crumbling. And it's the same story elsewhere as well. You can't change the past. You can learn from it, but you can't change it. 
So the only question is what you're going to do today and tomorrow and the next day. And I can't wait for you to hear the next segment when talk about what it really, really looks like and looked like for the Founding Fathers to pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And, and listening to this clip from John Adams, air quotes, and I, I've listened to this every year, it, it never gets old. Something really impressed upon me. Something was impressed upon me. And you said something similar last segment, you know, risking your life to risk your life. There's also this. The cost was going to be the same either way for those men and for us now as, as we attempt to maintain what republic we have. The cost was probably going to be the same. Either you submit to the tyranny and lose your lives, your fortunes, and your sacred honors one way or another. You might just be writing a rain check for that. Or you fight and you uphold and maintain your, your live fortune and sacred, uh, sacred honor. You might die and you might lose all of that stuff in the process, but at least there is hope there that you can escape from the tyranny, that you can escape from the evil dictates of a king. There's still hope for us. The cost is going to be the same one way or another. Either we, either we lose the aforementioned things in, in the attempt to maintain and cherish our liberty, our true liberty, not the blessings of liberty that some mealy-mouthed uh, people talk about, the real blessings of liberty, or we do nothing and we have them taken away from us. The cost is the same. Mm. Either way. Very well said. You know, data breaches are at an all-time high right now. Hackers are becoming more and more advanced in their cybersecurity attacks. Email, at times, can pose some of the highest risk out there to identity theft, credit card fraud, other life-altering scams. Uh, that's why you want to make sure you've got proper email protection. You could just be one data breach away from something that could change your life and not for the better. That's why you want to use StartMail S-T-A-R-T, start. Startmail keeps your email private, period. Every email is encrypted or protected with a password, uh, which means hackers, big tech, cannot read, scan, analyze, or sell your information ever. When you delete an email with Startmail, it's gone forever. Uh, it's backed by some of the world's most robust privacy laws. Uh, it even works if you're talking to somebody or communicating with somebody online who doesn't have uh, encrypted email. All right. So if, if you want to make sure that you're doing everything you possibly can to secure your privacy with your email, uh, you can go to start mail and sign up today. You're going to get 50% off your first year, 50% off your first year. When you go to startmail.com slash Steve start again with a T startmail.com slash Steve, get 50% off your first year today at startmail.com slash Steve. You know, Aaron, we've had kind of a reoccurring theme here in this uh, Independence Day program, and that is the willingness or lack thereof to, um, to pay the cost. Yep. To pay the cost that this, that, that, that history requires. 
And we began with John Adams saying in a letter to his wife, Abigail, right after, that he wrote to her right after the declaration had been ratified. I I hope we don't rue the day, but we'll finish the race. We'll see it through. We get into the middle of this and then the realities of what it's going to take for this to be successful hit like the winner at Valley Forge. Moments like that, for example, that we won't rue the day that we did this. That future generations won't rue the day that we did this. But we'll want to pass that posterity on to their children and grandchildren. And he says to his wife, hey, I, I know I, I know right now I, I sound overly jovial. But trust me, I am aware. I'm aware of what this is going to cost. Not just for these states to be free, but to stay free. When those men pledged their lives, fortunes, and sacred honors, what did it mean? What did it take to keep that pledge? Find out next. Wow. I I mean... This this headline by Newsmax on what Amy oh, Coney no. Barrett. I don't know what the hell's going on over there, but apparently, if Emerald Robinson doesn't talk, like the rest of the channel just sucks. Okay, Justice Amy Coney Barrett blazed her own path during her rookie term on the U.S. Supreme Court, helping a con- conservative majority prevail in major cases while at times defying expectations. After critics last year tried to paint her as a right wing zealot. Say what? I, I mean, that's just some straight up right there. Okay. What what does that even mean? Uh, it, it it means a nothing. It's it's a nothing. Go back to interviewing Bruce Jenner. You guys are better at that. Mm-hmm. What a colossal disappointment that that outlet has become since the events of last January. I mean, it, it, essentially, if Emerald Robinson doesn't talk, it's like the rest of the channel is. Please don't sue us anymore. Yep. I don't know who their target audience is with that. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't either. Unless they're trying to do what the Republican Party does and cater to an audience it wishes it had into, instead of the audience it actually does have. If that if what I just told you uh, uh caused you uh, in your chronic pain to return, I've got the I won't leave you hanging. Check out our friends at Omega XL. Now, we talk about chronic pain. We're talking about that lingering, achy, stiffy, stiffness type, whether uh, and often found in joints or in your back, knees, uh, your neck, your shoulders, etc. Uh, this isn't something you have an injury that needs treatment or you just yank something. That's not what we're talking about. Those are injuries. We're talking about inflammation. And you're looking for an all-natural anti-inflammatory, and Omega XL is one that you're looking for, backed by 35 years of clinical research and backed by a year plus of my own personal use, so I can vouch for it as well. Uh, it's a fantastic product, doesn't upset your tummy, your system, or any other issues whatsoever, and it works. It's been quite a while since the fellas have heard me come in and complain about being sore after a workout. So if you want to give it a shot, they're offering buy one, get one free right now at omegaxl.com slash Steve. That's omegaxl.com slash Steve. Again, omegaxl.com slash Steve. Give them a call at 800-844-4888. That's 800-844-4888. Um, I don't know if I should say this out loud, but I will really quick. Okay. 
After the election last year, I was tasked with writing like a strategy memo for the brass here at uh, the Blaze because mm -hmm. that's, you know, what I do uh, when I'm not on the air. Uh, and it's what I've done for causes and things around the country in the past. And so what, you know, what's this new environment? What is, you know, blah, 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 blah. Analyzing that basically a kind yep. of a meta analysis. Yep. And at the end, I put in a couple of action steps that I would suggest. And one of them was a direct partnership with uh, a counter news gathering agency like Newsmax. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. They made a good decision based on what I've seen in recent times to not take my advice. <laughs> but at that time, I mean... <sighs> it, sounded, it sounded smart in December, yeah. okay, or in January, whenever I wrote that. Yes, okay. Um, let's conclude our annual Independence Day show by closing the loop on where it began. We started with the Declaration of Independence. Its final words are its signers pledging their lives, fortunes, and sacred honors to see this through. What did it mean to see it through? What did it mean to keep that pledge? Here's the rest of the story. Americans, the how and the why of our beloved republic are so much better known and understood than the who. The United States of America was born in 1776, but it was conceived 169 years before that. The earliest settlers had watered the New World with much sweat. They had built substantial holdings for themselves, for their families. And when the time came to separate themselves from a tyranny an ocean away, at best it meant starting all over again after the ravages of war. Researching what you're about to hear gave a whole new dimension to my reverence for our nation's first citizens. All others of the world's revolutions before and since were initiated by men who had nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Our founders had everything to lose and nothing to gain except one thing. Hello, Americans. I'm Paul Harvey. You remember the cherry tree fiction. A long time after you have forgotten the more earth-shaking history-making episodes in the life of George Washington, you have misplaced in your memory the details of Ben Franklin's statesmanship, but you remember his flying a kite. Joyce Kilmer was a great military hero. But the only thing you personally recall about him is his poetic tribute to trees. Maybe of this current decade, that which will be remembered best will not be its wars and its moon rockets or its crumbling frontiers or the giants who lived and died. Maybe all that will survive to linger in the day-by-day -day vocabulary of generations yet unborn may be the, the songs of a Memphis minstrel or the reincarnation of electric automobiles. But for any eve of the 4th of July... I, Paul Harvey, do herewith bequeath unto you something to remember. You may not be able to quote one line from the Declaration of Independence at this moment. Henceforth, you'll always be able to quote at least one line.
It's in the last paragraph where you will recall when I remind you, it says, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. In the Pennsylvania State House that's now called Independence Hall in Philadelphia, the best men from each of the colonies sat down together. This was a very fortunate hour in our nation's history, one of those rare occasions in the lives of men when we had greatness to spare. These were men of means, well-educated, 24 were lawyers and jurists, nine were farmers, owners of large plantations. On June 11, a committee sat down to draw up a declaration of independence. We were going to tell the British fatherland, no more rule by redcoats. Below the dam of ruthless foreign rule, the stream of freedom was running shallow and muddy. And we were going to light a fuse to dynamite that dam. This pact, as Burke later put it, was a partnership between the living and the dead and the yet unborn. There was no bigotry. There was no demagoguery in this group. All had shared hardships. Jefferson finished a draft of the document in 17 days. Congress adopted it in July, and so much is familiar history. But now, King George III had denounced all rebels in America as traitors. Punishment for treason was hanging. The names now so familiar to you from the several signatures on that Declaration of Independence, the names were kept secret for six months for each knew the full meaning of that magnificent last paragraph in which his signature pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. Fifty-six men placed their names beneath that pledge. Fifty-six men knew when they signed that they were risking everything. They knew if they won this fight, the best they could expect would be years of hardship in a struggling nation. And if they lost, they'd face a hangman's rope. But they signed the pledge. And here is the documented fate of that gallant 56. Carter Braxton of Virginia, wealthy planter, trader, saw his ships swept from the seas. To pay his debts, he lost his home and all of his properties and died in rags. Thomas Lynch, Jr., who signed that pledge, was a third-generation rice grower, aristocrat, large plantation owner. After he signed, his health failed. His wife and he set out for France to regain his failing health. Their ship never got to France, was never heard from again. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay, his family in poverty and in hiding. Vandals looted the properties of Ellery and Clymer and Hall and Gwinnett and Walton and Hayward and Rutledge and Middleton. Thomas Nelson, Jr. of Virginia, raised $2 million on his own signature to provision our allies, the French fleet. After the war, he personally paid back the loans, wiped out his entire estate, and he was never reimbursed by his government. In the final battle for Yorktown, he, Nelson, urged General Washington to fire on his, Nelson's own home, which was occupied by Cornwallis. It was destroyed. Thomas Nelson, Jr. had pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. The Hessians seized the home of Francis Hopkinson of New Jersey. Francis Lewis had his home and everything destroyed, his wife imprisoned. She died within a few months. Richard Stockton, who signed that declaration, was captured, mistreated. 
his health broken to the extent that he died at 51, his estate was pillaged. Thomas Hayward Jr. was captured when Charleston fell. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying. Their 13 children fled in all directions for their lives. His fields and grist mill were laid waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves and returned home after the war to find his wife dead, his children gone, his properties gone. And he died a few weeks later of exhaustion and a broken heart. Lewis Morris saw his land destroyed, his family scattered. Philip Livingston died within a few months from the hardships of the war. John Hancock, history remembers best due to a quirk of fate rather than anything he stood for, that great sweeping signature attesting to his vanity towers over the others. One of the wealthiest men in New England. And yet he stood outside Boston one terrible night of the war. And he said, burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock a beggar if the public good requires it. So he, too, lived up to the pledge. Of the 56, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston, sacked, looted, occupied by the enemy, or burned. Two lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its more merciful bullets. I don't know what impression you had had of the men who met that summer in Philadelphia. But I think it's important that we remember this about them. They were not poor men. They were not wild-eyed pirates. These were men of means. They were rich men, most of them, and had enjoyed much ease and luxury in their personal living. Not hungry men, certainly not terrorists, not irresponsible malcontents, not fanatical incendiaries. These men were prosperous men, wealthy landowners. They were substantially secure in their prosperity. They had everything to lose. But they considered liberty, and this is as much as I shall say of it. They had learned that liberty is so much more important than security that they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And they fulfilled their pledge. They paid the price. And freedom was born. Not a lot of white privilege there. I don't know. Seemed to be reeking of white privilege to me. Yes. But there was a lot of sacrifice. There was a lot of honor. There was a willingness to pay the price. We started this show by pointing out that the answers to the future, the present, are often found in the past. If we're going to avoid the ash heap of history, then we need to repeat that past. In our time, we're going to have to be willing to suffer, 
pay with sacred honor and pay the cost it will take. Those men gave up a lot more than a Twitter ratio. They gave up a lot more than a big tech social media ban. We could at least risk those things for the legacy they passed on to us, at the very least. Aaron, I'll give you the final word here in a second after we talk about realestateagentsitrust.com. If, you know, real estate market is hopping right now, so much so I know people who are selling their homes because they've been sitting on so much equity. So they're selling their homes to move into apartments or rental properties just because they just, as good American capitalists, just can't justify sitting, sitting on, on that much. Pile of gold. Yeah, sitting on that big of a pile of cash much longer. Figure we'll just get someplace else later on. All right. So if you want to take advantage of the real estate market out there right now, even though in these unprecedented times, Bing. you still need to make sure you go in with a real estate agent that you can trust. And you're going to find them where the name kind of says it all at realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, realestateagentsitrust.com, just about anywhere in the country that you're looking for an agent that you can trust with a verified track record of success. You're going to be able to find them right there. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. Aaron, about a minute left. You get the last word. I hope this is challenging equal parts with encouraging. Encouraging because, as we've talked about recently, the men that founded this country were having some of the same conversations, arguments, working things out in, in fear and trembling as it relates to what they could and could not do in squaring up with God's word. They were having some of the same conversations that we have now. But there's a very important part when we listened to the Declaration of Independence and Steve laid out kind of the, the four main parts. The founders, the men who signed that declaration were not practicing open door theology. I'm just going to go through these doors, and if it's closed, then that's God's will, not God's will. If it's open, that's God's will. No. What was in the DNA, as Steve put it, of the entire Declaration of Independence, what we celebrate, the nation's founding, foundationally, was putting God in his proper place. That is what they were doing. That's what they were accomplishing. And that's what our nation was founded upon. Remember that above all things. Have a great weekend. See you Wednesday. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.